Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara and I am the host. for joining me for episode 40 of Book of Leaves. You are very, very welcome if you are a new listener. Hello, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where every episode I interview someone who is related in some way to doing something good for the planet and we take a leaf from their loving, their loving, <laughs> their living to add to our own way of eco-friendly living. And that's the gist. Thank you if you are a regular listener. Hello, I hope you are all doing okay in these very strange times. Lots of stuff going on in the world, um, in Ireland and abroad. So I just am sending you all virtual hugs. Now, this chat with Laura went on for a while and I tried to edit it down as much as possible. But there's just so much good points in here and fascinating discussion that I just I had to include nearly all of it so I hope you guys enjoy for anyone who doesn't know Laura Kehoe basically how I ended up interviewing her is a mutual friend from Extinction Rebellion put us in touch um hi Kevin if you're listening and he said I know this person Laura who'd be great for your podcast and basically sent me a list of all the things she done she done and I swear to god I presumed that she'd be 60 years of age with everything that she's done no she's she's a young sprightly person with uh, so much experience already in conservation she is currently a postdoc at the University of Oxford in the nature concert conservancy I don't know why I can't say that and she is working on a project called livestock environment and people project um that's just one of the things she has done I will link her website in the show notes and of course we'll chat about some of the other things that she's done she's worked a lot with chimpanzees and me as an animal lover obviously had to ask her about that as well and yeah the only thing I want to tell you before going into this we talk about the Macozer deal if you don't know what that is don't panic uh we explain that because I also need to know what it is. But when we're talking about that, we do ask ourselves the question, and neither of us know the answer, how much soy or how much grain do we import from Brazil? Because in Brazil, there is huge destruction of the Amazon rainforest going on, and a lot of it is because of feed grown for livestock to ship all over the world. And of course, in Ireland, we have this image of our cows being all grass fed. So I looked it up after the episode. And this is just to keep in mind when we get to that part. So in 2018, according to the Minister for Agriculture of the time, Ireland imported approximately 5.1 million tonnes of animal feed materials. And of that, over 90% of the soybean is imported from Argentina, Brazil, Canada and the USA. When I tried to hone in on just Brazil, I found that in 2019, we imported $65 million worth of cereal from Brazil, which would include soy. So... We do import soy from the Amazon here and unfortunately we, as it stands, don't have enough land, enough tillage land to grow crops to feed these animals which which need a lot of land. So we asked that question but neither of us knew off the top of our head so I just wanted to let you guys know that before going into this interview. I promise you it's not all 
scary statistics there is a lot of hope in here but then a lot of realistic stuff as well but we as always end with a hopeful hug and I'll be here giving you a hopeful hug throughout and sending you lots of love and I hope you're okay so here is Laura if you'd like to support this podcast I do have a Patreon account and a buymeacoffee.com account that you can contribute once off all is linked in the show notes as usual and check out the website I will link these articles that I got this information from in regards to soybeans and everything else that's been mentioned will all be there too on the website if not in your show notes on whatever podcast platform you're listening on so don't forget to share this episode with a friend and let me know what you think and I hope you guys enjoy this chat with Laura and I will catch you after Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. We're very welcome to the Book of Lee's podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really nice to be here. No worries at all. So I think we're going to be chatting about a fair few things of uh, varying topics today. And I won't um, keep anyone too long before we get into those. But I do want the listeners to get to know you a little bit. For anyone who doesn't know, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about where you're from, where you grew up and if you were always kind of interested in the environment or what sparked that for you? Yeah, sure. So I'm from I'm from Dublin. Right now I'm a scientist with the University of Oxford and the Nature Conservancy. And what sparked I don't I honestly don't know. Um like I remember growing up in Ireland and I thought I genuinely thought for a really long time that nature was like cows in a field. Yeah. Like I actually thought like ah nature. And when we'd be driving out like and you'd see a cow and I'd be like, Ooh, the great outdoors like Did you not go into the countryside often? Like were you from like Dublin City? Yeah, like, from it, it's suburbs, just, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So um it's weird because we're like we're in we're in Castlenock, right? But it's very strange because even still, if you if you cycle for like ten minutes, you'll see a cow in a field. Even though you're so yeah. close to town. But anyway. just as a child, you just never saw them. I've got friends who because I grew up in Wexford and I, I remember a friend who lived in New Ross, which is like a countryside town, but it did have a population of 15,000, 10,000 people or something. And when she came out to my house and saw a cow, she'd just be like, wow, wow. And she's from the countryside, you know? So, you know, you do get it. You wouldn't be traveling out. You'd be traveling towards a town. And some people or some kids, like they would go ages if you grew up in a city before yeah. you see a cow or a sheep in person which if, when you grow up in the countryside you think that's mad like you smell them every day like it's it's weird so were you into animals I was always into animals yeah so we had like we had a dog uh growing up and I was kind of fascinated by the dog like what is this really though like what's going on like how is this little white thing conscious like and how does she know before nearly I do that I'm having a crap day like how is she she was a really stupid dog in many ways like she'd like hit her head when she sneezed and stuff like she wasn't intellectually intelligent but emotionally she was like the most intelligent being in the family right so I was kind of fascinated by the dog yeah Um, and then I think the like the big moment that I can kind of trace back to is my dad was working at the DCU and he got like a sabbatical. So the whole family went out to Australia for a year. Oh, wow. It was crazy when I was 12. So amazing. And we went to the Great Barrier Reef. And this was right before any of the major bleaching events that it's kind of a shadow of what it was then. But and it was just like 
being on acid like it was unbelievable it was <laughs> not just... that we'd know not that we'd know so as i would imagine <laughs> yeah but imagine a 12 year old like and just having no idea that this could be real yeah. like it yeah, was yeah, yeah. shocking to me i was absolutely stunned like wouldn't go back to the boat like just wanted to stay out forever um just snorkeling and, like and just the colors and the amount of life there and yeah blew me away and I think kind of realizing that like realizing how magic nature is is what sort of got me into all of this and then fairly quickly sort of realizing how it's not going in the best direction so I think I was kind of I was really interested in animal consciousness and what is it to be alive sort of and I was studying that in in university but then just kept learning more and more depressing things so I thought well you can't you can't really be fascinated by animals when they're going extinct so maybe work on the on the going extinct thing um okay so did you, did you, what point in secondary school did you think you want to go on and do science or animal care? Um, in secondary school, in secondary school, it was really messy. I actually really didn't have a clue. I, I never really considered that it could be a job, to be honest, in secondary yeah. school. It didn't, it didn't really occur to me. Um, like I knew, I probably knew about Jane Goodall. I don't know when I first knew about people like Jane Goodall but I just didn't think like that was a thing that Irish people could do like it just didn't it just didn't occur to me I don't know but I do distinctly remember learning about climate change in secondary school fair play to the teacher for teaching it back then but like it was very shocking Mm. and somebody brought out a roly bin uh during the lesson and I thought it was like this huge thunder (laughs) 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 you were just like Uh, hyper senses then hyper aware (laughs) it's happening now oh my god the end is now (laughs) um so it was really it was um during my undergrad in Maynooth where I realized like oh this could be a job I could actually work in conservation and then managed to get into a master's in conservation in Scotland and from there sort of managed to get the first job studying chimps and sort of skipping around since then trying to do useful things yeah, well, I yeah, we're gonna we'll get into some of these um things that you've started, but of course, I actually do want to talk about chimps. I saw your talk. I'm gonna link a talk that you did about chimps as well. But I'm an animal lover, and I'm pretty sure some of the listeners are animal lovers. And I just want to know how are the chimps getting on? Um, I imagine not great. And is there anything we can do to help? And what was it like to work with them and study them in person? Just tell me all you know. <laughs> Give me everything you got. <laughs> um, how are they doing? Not great. Um, they're still declining. It depends. Like there's this debate going on about chimps and whether or not they're subspecies, whether or not they're all one species. So a lot of the subspecies are are really getting quite close to not being very probable that they'll survive in the wild in the next few decades. If we continue the way we are, uh, most of the chimp experts sort of say in a couple of decades, it's looking really ropey. Where Um, are their main populations well, they're across, so they're across sub-Saharan Africa. So I was working on the Western chimpanzee kind of subspecies where there, you have really high populations in Guinea, for example, the Republic of Guinea in Western Africa. But like, there's just so much land use change. There's so much poverty and there's so much pressure. And it's a really, really tricky situation. 
Uh, Jane Goodall's organization is doing good stuff supporting communities. As much as I disagree with her on how she keeps bringing up bloody population growth, it's like, Jane, it's not population growth. Please, oh, she, she, what, she puts it down to human population growth as being she a problem? She bringing it up. Like, I don't think she, I don't know if she puts it down as the primary cause, but she does bring it up so often. It's, it's just such a shame. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a shame because you do see in, for example, the Republic of Guinea, there's not, there's no access to contraceptives and women often don't want to have as many kids as they end up having, but it's linked, it's linked to culture and status. So the more kids you have, the more kind of status often um, in the community I lived in, that was the case, but still they wanted access to condoms anyway. Right. So there's, so there's a number of different issues going on. And, and so supporting women's rights is a fantastic thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's not going to save the environment, though. For that, we need to actually bring down the entire system that's destroying the world. So it's like by saying population growth, you're actually ignoring the biggest problem and ignoring the fact that rich people are far and away causing, you know, multitudes of factors more damage than anybody Um in the poor yeah it's like there's there's some statistic that's like one irish person causes like as much pollution or greenhouse gas emissions as like 600 sub-saharan african people like the yeah we're quick to point the finger and be like oh there's loads of those people loads more of them so obviously they're more of an issue and that's actually it's quality more than quantity kind of thing Um, yeah exactly and like and then you have people like me like hopping on an airplane like oh i'm gonna study chimpanzees and save the world like emitting emitting like crazy so it's just such a like it's just such a messy messy trap really as well because even even saying it's rich people's fault doesn't really hit it it's like it's the way we've built society to think that being rich is winning like to think that having that lifestyle is something we should all aim towards is thoroughly kind of deeply messed up right from the outset um yeah so yeah it's re- really tricky anyway what's it like <laughs> studying chimps <laughs> it was lovely it was really amazing we'd go out every day and we'd we were we we didn't want to um habituate them to being around humans because if hunters came in then they'd just more easily get killed because the chimps we were studying They'd never been studied before. They were living like really close to villages. They weren't in a protected area. So we were kind of like stalking them a little bit. And we'd put up cameras so that they were motion activated so you can film them um, for weeks on end and then come back and check the the memory stick and see what you got. And it was really amazing. Really hard work, like a lot of walking in a lot of heat, but amazing like to sometimes get to see them and sort of hide and get to watch them a little bit just really really amazing yeah that's so cool the problems for chimpanzees i presume are things like uh habitat loss which is probably caused by a mix of like poverty perhaps maybe people just going in and cutting down trees for for money because they've no other income and then maybe I don't know. Does agriculture play a part, or I imagine poaching, of course, as well. So what what are the kind of big issues that they're facing? I mean, that's it. Yes, yeah. I got it. I'm happy and sad at the same time that I was right, <laughs> but I got it. Okay. I mean, it's, like it's nearly always agriculture with terrestrial species. Um, it's just agriculture is such a huge footprint globally. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
And then, as I'm sure you know, uh, farming for meat is just so unbelievably inefficient and that's putting a huge amount of pressure. For the for where I was specifically in Guinea, it was actually, it was a mining company had set up, they were going to do a lot of bauxite mining, which eventually becomes aluminium. And because of like the promise of potentially getting a job in this mining company, people had come from like all over the country just waiting for the mining to start. And while they were waiting, they were deforesting because they were making charcoal to sell, to survive while they were like, waiting in the hopes to to get a job so that was a big driver like just specifically in the little area where I was but yeah across the range it's everything what you said and it just depends on the different factors at play okay Um, and is there a case of agriculture because I know for example in South America a lot of the land use there is actually grown for feed for cattle for countries in the northern mm -hmm. hemisphere is that a case did you see that where you were or was it more kind of local agriculture I mean, it's weird. It's a mix. It's not the case in um, Latin America is really different. That's like huge monocultures, quite intensively done. That's getting the mafia involved to deforest. That's like a really big supply chain that's global. Yeah, that could easily be in meat in Ireland right now without our knowing it because we are importing that soy. Yeah. For sub-Saharan Africa, it's it's a little bit more mixed. A lot of it is smaller landholders, but it's kicking off. It's kicking off there too. So there have been larger land acquisitions going on in sub-Saharan Africa, and and that's kind of ramping up a little bit. And there, like, I mean, there's been conferences about like the next frontier is sub-Saharan Africa for these big agri-business developments. China's buying up a lot of land, for example. So it's it's ramping up. Yeah. Okay. And if there are people listening that want to help chimpanzees, what kind of foundations would you recommend? Charities, any that you would think of that they could help? Yeah. Um, the Wild Chimpanzee Foundation is a good foundation that you can donate to. Um, Jane Goodall's, I think it's called Roots and Shoots program is really good too. I think those are two really good ones. Cool. Um, yeah, because it's good to talk about the problems, but also the things that mm-hmm. we can kind of do. So helping charities, of course, is one of them as well as bringing down the system. So Well, those... I'll, I'll use this as a kind of a plug for an initiative that I started. Um, it's called 400trees.org. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Well, I really like this because it's um, basically all the money goes to this other charity that actually does all the work on the ground called trees.org. And they work with farmers to restore their own degraded farmland because a really big issue is that farms are just getting really degraded. And so it's transforming these farms. And because they're getting degraded, then the farmers move out, deforest more land and like the cycle kind of continues. But with this charity, they work with farmers on their degraded land and they basically regenerate it by planting really useful trees. And so the whole farm is transformed to be a forest garden. So it's all of the agroecological principles of sort of working in line with nature, using trees, because trees will then, they'll, they'll help the topsoil sort of stay Mm. rather than be washed away. They'll help for water to be absorbed in the soil. They'll nourish the soil. They'll give nitrogen to the other plants so there's just a million different things that trees are good for and that's so I really like it and it's only 10 cents a tree but because the farmers are actually really doing most of the work and a lot of the trainers are volunteers so 
it's spreading really well and is that um, in africa or south america or where where is that that's in sub-saharan africa amazing yeah. okay and the 400 trees thing this is something that you and two other people i think set up and why is it specifically 400 yeah good point um so uh, one day i was really just procrastinating to be honest i was doing my phd and i read this paper about these scientists that had like modeled how many trees are on earth and how many we've lost and they found that since like we invented the axe basically we've lost half of all trees on earth and i was curious like because the numbers were so huge so i divided it by the number of humans alive and it's 400 trees per person it was like 372 to be exact but i rounded up for a nice uh, a nice even number fair i mean it's not very accurate because obviously an irish person probably owes a lot more trees than someone in another part of the world but yeah it's an even number and it's a nice way to just donate 50 quid and have 400 trees planted that's cool yeah and it's so it's such a good idea jesus laura if i came up with this stuff when i was procrastinating that we if everyone did stuff like this when they're procrastinating the world would be a completely different place so if this comes out of your procrastination like I can't wait to see what else the future has that's mad well this is why we all need to procrastinate more (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's when the good ideas come Um, that's great I'll link I'll link that again in the show notes as well Um, 400 trees yeah each person so 400 trees have been lost for every person alive and yeah it's like 40 dollars or 50 euro to get them planted 40 something euro i think there's some fees for the donation but it's like it goes directly to trees.org i don't get any of it it's just whatever system they're using i think there's some fees so yeah amazing and we do like christmas certificates and stuff so you can plant them for a friend cool yeah it can be a gift all year round as well that's fab um grace that's just one of the other things that you've done but we also we mentioned it very briefly we need to talk about south america a little bit more because there's something that goes on in like extinction rebellion you'll hear them talking about it and a lot of like environmentalists the macosar deal i don't even know if i'm pronouncing it right when it comes Mm -hmm. to policy or any kind of stuff like that and trade deals my brain goes fuzzy it's just like white noise so can you explain what the crack is for this deal um for anyone who may never have heard of it before what it means and like what we need to do about it just a little question for you there small question (laughs) so it's it's a huge big trade deal it's been it's between the european union and the mercosur bloc in latin america which is brazil uruguay paraguay and argentina bolivia was in it but i think they've been suspended now but other countries could join it as well so it's a really really huge economic bloc billions of euro could be saved with this with this deal that's one of the arguments for the economic people trying to pass it of course those billions will be saved by corporations right so i don't take it as a fantastic argument Mm. What it is, is mostly about um, getting discounts on livestock feed, so soybeans. So the vast majority of soybeans grown in, in Latin America are for feeding to cows. Um, I just I just always have to make that point because I've been told so many times when I'm eating tofu, well, isn't that soy causing deforestation? It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. We need another name 
Yeah, I start. I've started calling it soy feed, but it's just kind of confusing. I think, but yeah, we need because it's even it's a, it's like a different type of bean as well. Yeah, it's a different. It's a complete different type. Yeah. Like you can't feed. You wouldn't really feed humans with it. And like I've seen yeah. several figures, they're all at least eighty percent of the soy grown worldwide. At least, but yeah, usually more is for cattle, and that's what people don't understand. They're like, if you love. If you love plants, you know, why are you vegan? It's like, um, you know, to feed your cow, they had to literally give them fields of plants, you know. So I'm vegan because yeah. I eat less plants. I do like plants as well as animals. Oh, there's so many arguments yeah. people take with you. But yes, yeah. I shan't um, start ranting. Yeah. Um, Tiring, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's all this soy ground. So basically the EU is wanting discounts on it the, everyone's wants some discounts yeah the eu and the mercosur block gets some discounts too on cars on different different so it's basically a huge deal with lots of different things being traded where um a lot of money could be saved by corporations the issue is there's no real environmental regulations in it like it's just ridiculous they talk about the paris agreement they talk about making sure that no additional risk will be put on environment and it's like well okay but how and they haven't they they just haven't outlined how and this is the european union very often will sort of make these big promises and then completely fall short like i'm so sick of all these huge organizations like constantly making targets celebrating their targets and then missing the targets like it's just it's really it's just so much politico speak like instead of genuinely doing the things and fully recognizing the issue so the deal right now they've kind of like shook hands on it the trade commissioners but the european union has to actually approve it has to ratify it so it's at this really dodgy stage where um, they were going to push it to a vote this month, but they had to delay it because there was so much pressure from um, environmental activists, from NGOs, from a meeting that Angela Merkel had with Greta Thunberg and some of the other school strikers a couple of weeks ago. So there's been a huge amount of pressure to not pass this deal. And so before the deal was announced, you could tell that it was heating up to, to that negotiations were sort of happening quite more than usual this yeah. was a year and a half ago and so I was thinking like I, I just became really depressed honestly when Bolsonaro was elected it just hit me like unexpectedly quite hard and I was just thinking how like how do we do something here to try and protect the environment and indigenous people who are getting murdered fighting for the rainforest and um, so linked up with indigenous groups there and we wrote this letter and published it in science and got 600 scientists in the EU and organizations that represent over 300 indigenous groups in Brazil to call on the European Union to make any kind of a deal with Brazil like based on sustainability to make it really strong because otherwise it's you know otherwise the, uh, that guy Bolsonaro is the president is the of president yeah Brazil yeah, yeah. and he is someone who would really make it obvious that he just does not care about the environment at all so yeah. I imagine this yeah this passes there'll be the Amazon fires at the whole world and all the social media was up in arms about like is probably a tip of the iceberg in regards to what he could do yeah it's just and it's just so it's 
so stupid because Brazilian agriculture depends on the rainfall from the Amazon rainforest. Like, you're literally shooting yourself in the foot, but apparently it doesn't matter. Like, it's just, it's just so ridiculous on every level. So the, the call kind of, because it was loads of scientists and loads of indigenous groups, it got a lot of media coverage and put a little bit of pressure on. And I actually managed to meet with the European Trade Commissioner and talk about different Amazing. strategies and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, a month later, they agree on the trade deal and none of there's no teeth in it to actually enforce anything. It is sort of naive to think that the European Union could step up and do this when they're so clearly still mm. based on this blind economic growth narrative. But it's also maybe a time to be naive because things are shifting so quickly and because people seem to be really waking up to this stuff. So potentially it's like, I know the probability is low, but maybe. Yeah, especially like with the pandemic that we're in now as well. Like we've seen how quick things can change. It can be so frustrating hitting your head against the wall constantly because it does make sense. Like when you start studying ecosystems and how the the natural balance of things works and then we try to control it and we literally just make it worse for ourselves and then we try to control it more and literally make it worse again instead of just going backing off and leaving mm. nature do its thing for a bit. But uh, yeah, so the deal, that's it. But it's so good to hear that at least it's been delayed because of the pressure of environmental Groups well, and let NGOs. Me just ruin that positivity for you. Okay, okay, no, go on, <laughs> go on. No, it is. It is good to hear. It's good to hear that, like, we're alive at a time where that deal doesn't just immediately get passed, right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, okay, we got to focus on the positives. Okay, but also hear the negatives. Good. Okay, hit us, Laura. Uh, no, I mean it's just like we already import so much from Brazil. We're already importing one football pitch of deforestation every three minutes. So 10 football pitches since we started talking. All of Europe? Yeah. Oh, no. From the Mercosur block to Europe. And no one's talking about that. Like, everybody somehow, not everybody, but in the media, it's covered in a way like this deal would be disastrous. But it's like, wow, we're already, it wouldn't actually affect soy because we're already importing soy tariff free. It would only increase beef by a third maximum because there's only 100,000 tonnes additional and we're already importing 270,000 tonnes on average a year. So we're like we're already doing it. And the deal itself is so deeply, deeply broken. It actually can't really be fixed, especially considering Bolsonaro's actions in terms of just absolute massacre of indigenous people and he's not nobody's nobody's looking into the murders of indigenous people in terms of the ridiculous levels of deforestation that he's actively kind of spurring by by again not enforcing any of the laws around it and so he's taken the piss like so he's he's clearly going to get away with as much as he can and the european union if if the European Union was really serious about this, really actually legitimately cared, then we wouldn't import another single grain of soybean until we know that it's not going to be driving these horrendous things in South America. Like, mm. it's as simple as that, you know. I mean, if you go to the supermarket and you see behind the shelf all the, like, fires, violence attacks, species extinctions, are you going to pick up that bag? Like, who's going to pick up that bag nobody it's just that we've got such a 
we've we've managed to create such a distance there that we don't see it we don't really even know about it and so it continues um and that's kind of the european union all over like we celebrate protecting areas at home and then deforest huge amounts abroad for the sake of our own green spaces like it's unbelievably hypocritical Mm. and of course also we're not that great at protecting areas at home right like just look at Ireland I mean yeah but we do like washing our hands of things it was the same it's the same with fracking you know we make fracking illegal here but we're working on our government is working on setting up uh, liquid natural gas terminals which will contain an amount of frac gas that we will then be like importing to the rest of Europe but it's illegal here, so that's fine. As long as, mm. you know, it's in North America and indigenous tribes and Native Americans suffering, it's fine. You know, with that we're such we're such a terrible country for, for doing that. And yeah, people will often think grass fed, their friends their beef comes from their friends, grass fed cows. But as far as I know, mm. I don't know if you can shed any light on this, there's very few farms in Ireland that are purely fed just grass and they're like this isn't just the rest of Europe like we are importing soy from South America as well aren't we yes we are yeah um I don't know what percentage of cows but I do know that generally in livestock systems you do finish the cow on grain at the end so they might be fed grass for a long time but then to really fatten them up at the end and they're finished on grain and soy is a really good grain for that because it's got a lot of protein and it fattens them up um so I don't know. I'd be curious if anybody knows. Um, but yeah, I'm not so, I haven't worked on Irish systems at all, really. I kind of, the first recession hit and I left Ireland and never got a job here. So I'm not too familiar with that. Yeah, Irish. no, I would be interested as well. So if anyone is listening, or I'm pretty sure I'd have friends who know the kind of figures and the amount of soy that we would be importing here for, for cattle. Because we, Im- we import so much mm. food for our people as well, you know, and we're exporting... 80% of what we make here so we sound really food secure yeah. but that's just all our beef and butter going to the rest of the world yeah um it's crazy it's so mad and we could grow we could grow amazing vegetables like we could grow so much here and somehow we're just stuck on that cow image somehow yeah and it's like yeah it's traditional but how many traditions do you keep alive that are actively ruining your chance that I have like at a future that's safe Mm. you know when a tradition is something that's literally fueling the very thing that's wrecking our chance of having a secure climate then maybe we need to rethink the tradition like and i just can't like i'm 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 not good at those conversations (laughs) i don't bring them up like i don't i don't know what the how to really talk about that in a way that's good for an actual discussion instead of because people get so emotional around food and like I get emotional because I know too much about the destruction that it's causing so it like hits hard Mm. for me and and so yeah I just don't even I also think that like there was a really good study um out last week what was it called it was like don't tell me what to do and they looked at um they did this survey where they gave one group tips on eco tips and behavior change. And they gave another group information on like changing laws and policy. And then they surveyed both. And they found that the ones that had the how to live greener 
information, we're actually less likely to believe in climate change, less likely to trust scientists and less likely to do anything because they felt like the sacrifice thing, like they felt like shame, guilt, sacrifice. And so they completely turned away, turned off. And the ones that were uh, given the sort of information on, okay, here's the, here's the laws that we could change. Here's the policy stuff that we could change. They felt more motivated and more empowered. So I think it's really interesting, like how in general the environmental movement, and I've done it like for most of the time that I've been in this for like over 15 years, thinking about individual choices, but actually, yes, I have a number of friends that have become vegan and stuff, but who knows how many, like my brother growing up who ate literally double the amount of meat once I gave it up, like just to screw at me, like who knows how many of these other effects there are and how when it's framed as sacrifice and um, giving yeah. up, it's not motivational for people. So it's really tricky. Like it's really, really tricky, but I think it's a really interesting study to remember because because also individual change as much as it's really important won't be enough in the time that we have like and this is why we're in extinction rebellion mm -hmm. right like because recognizing that it's system change is the sort of for me anyway most important focus but again like met with the trade commissioner i can't say that anything significant has really happened so it's like it's such a tricky, um, and then Extinction Rebellion. I mean, I'm ranting here, but no, let let it go, let it go. <laughs> like I was so, I was so excited when Extinction Rebellion was starting. I was just, I was in the UK at the time, and it was just so exciting and so much energy to it. And then the first rebellion was amazing, and then it it was all really like seemed like building and like, oh, how could this? of course, this is the answer, you know? And then right now, it just seems like, oh, the, the momentum's been kicked out somehow. And it, and it just, yeah. it's like, I do think it'll be a social movement. I just don't know what will spark it. Overall, I think like for people listening and for people stressed out about this stuff, don't put too much burden on yourself, you know? Don't put too much kind of guilt or burden on yourself. Just remain open to the possibility of one random thing that you do could spark this whole thing like Greta Thunberg had no clue by going to that governmental building with her sign anything would come of it she just thought well I want to do something and I'm going to do this so I just think that like the more of us that are willing to try new creative things like that to spark people's imagination the better yeah I think the I can you can kind of feel it's kind of a burnout with Extinction Rebellion. I know in the UK, they're still kind of going on and the pandemic has like slowed down things because they were just about to mm -hmm. do Rebellion Week 3 and we were as well over here. And then, of course, the pandemic comes in and then, but I've I've never met you in person that I remember, but I know we've probably been at the same protests and stuff, but I've recently started like trying to help organise with Animal Rebellion, which is kind of the food system affinity group of Extinction Rebellion so we're looking mm -hmm. at specifically the food system that is damaging the, the whole planet as well as um, looking at the rights of animals and even just to organize you know one meeting or, or to attend you know a meeting once a month on Zoom and then you're like doing the social media or you're you're putting out this this 
energy you're just constantly thinking about the negative things that need to be changed and then you're organizing and organizing these things on top of your job or your studies or whatever Mm -hmm. you have to do it can be so tiring because when you're fighting for like I remember for example when I was campaigning for the marriage referendum it wasn't as draining for for me because I'm a I'm a straight person I was still really really angry about it and wanted my you know LGBT friends to have rights but it wasn't until I started campaigning in repeal that I really felt burnout because when it affects you directly there's just something different where your energy just zaps so much sooner and the planet Mm. affects every individual it's you know your future is your future and literally if we don't do something the science is absolutely clear that we are in the sixth mass extinction right now unless we do something of course the earth will go on in some form of another but we're really scared if you don't so constantly trying to work and you know organize protests and you're getting you know you might be getting backlash from the public or your family and yeah Yeah. there can just be such a burnout but I guess the only thing that I like I'm looking at the system change that we need but I'm also there's like two ripples going on there's like your ripple effect and then there's like the system change that we need but I think I just like the thing that gets me through is focusing on even like the small changes that's like what I take my energy from I like take my energy from the fact that like six weeks ago a friend of mine went vegan because I was like I wasn't always talking about it but he was always asking me questions about it and I just had an answer in a funny way he'd be like you have an answer for everything and I'm like well yeah (laughs) like if you're gonna come at me with plants of feelings too like or but bacon I'm gonna you know respond and yeah so he went vegan and like that's amazing so everyone has like a little ripple effect and so I try to use that as my energy and then just recruit people into Extinction Rebellion into Animal Rebellion into like Fridays Mm -hmm. for Future because what we need is numbers to get that system changed it's like for example like Irish Water when people were protesting that the mass amount of people that went on the streets and just didn't pay that's why that doesn't exist anymore whether or not you agree with it that's why yeah yeah it's not there yeah. it's because we had so many people mobilizing so mm. I know it's tricky now because we're in a pandemic but I guess this is why it's important to kind of like read up and educate yourself and chat to your friends and family because it is important to get more people on side they don't need to be organizers and like burning themselves out all the time but yeah I'm rambling now look <laughs> no but it's really hard like I completely agree with everything that you said yeah and I think it's um I think it's exactly that like the friends of mine that have stopped eating meat they were also the ones that would bring it up and that would ask like and I know that it, one of them he started a vegan restaurant like this is like no way maybe it was like 16 years ago now so it was like the first vegan restaurant in uh, the little town in Italy where he was and but he got really really outspoken like he got really proper vegan you know what I mean and and I just wonder because whenever I've sort of gone on a rant it's not effective right so it's like that line of like friendly conversation with somebody that wants to have it I just think it takes it takes everybody and it takes whatever people feel passionate about as well like it doesn't even have to be environmental stuff I mean at the end of the day I think it is it's about 
it's about a deep sort of respect for each other and for nature like mm-hmm. that's all it really is so whether it's human rights animal rights the environment like it's it's all kind of the same thing really and I think I think a lot of people have a kind of a meaning crisis in their lives like there isn't much meaning in a lot of jobs that we're doing and there isn't much purpose but getting involved in whatever you care about all of a sudden there's a lot of purpose and meaning and so I think it's kind of underrated as well joining movements because they can be great crack too. Oh my god, like, so much crack. I haven't been in Ireland. Like, I just moved back to Ireland this summer, so, and then the pandemic. But I was like, oh, I'm really excited to get involved in Ireland. So I just, I think there's so much there that, that maybe is underestimated because I guess I also talk about burnout quite a lot, which maybe is scary for people. But it's like burnout from the deep love that we have. Like, and I think yeah. that's the other side of it. I mean, the world is amazing, right? Like, it's it's worth this i also do agree i don't know if you've read charles eisenstein no he wrote this book it's got a lovely sappy title it's like the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible and he talks a little bit about like how always resisting something and always fighting against something is perhaps like propping up that very thing in a way he explains it better right okay (laughs) but his (laughs) Because I, because if someone said that to me, I'd be like, uh, I all bullshit there. yeah. But, um, but my main point, anyway, from him is, um, if you end up suffering trying to create a better world, then you're undermining the very worlds that you're trying to create. I see. Yeah. Okay. Which is so true, mm. but I never really accepted that properly because it was always like, oh, it's worth it. But then, like, get more and more tired and do more and more, but. I'm learning to sort of really respect that and think, yeah, like if 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 I'm really struggling and suffering, then I do need to actually take a step back and take a bit of a break, look after myself. And is that Which how is, you manage course, it? Is that how you manage like the the stress? I ask people that a lot on this podcast, like how they do manage the the <laughs> living with the state of the world that we're in you know when it gets a bit too much yeah I mean the, the first thing I do is I remind myself this would this would be happening if you weren't born like this isn't even though I don't think I created it sometimes I carry it too heavy so I kind of remind myself like this you didn't create this this isn't you can only do what you can do kind of thing that's the first thing because it's the, it's the weight of it more than anything like it's the kind of feeling of responsibility that's crippling for yeah. me and so I remind myself of that and then I just I go I spend time in nature to be honest like that's the best thing for me personally I think there's a load of things that can be done I meditate quite a bit but I often find that um meditation like if I'm really burnt out I just won't even have the concentration to meditate so it's like a funny one because we really see your mind in meditation and maybe just having a walk in a nice park with some trees is a is a is a better option for me anyway oh yeah everyone's different that way Mm. um but no but there are good tips for sure that some people might be able to take on board um i know we're coming up to an hour chatting soon and i want to i know we kind of went on a tangent with extinction rebellion and stuff which i'll now link if anyone hasn't heard of them or i don't know anyone listening who wouldn't have heard of but i don't know wants to get a bit more involved like i'll link the, the uk and the irish pages in the show notes but Back to the Mercosur deal, just very quickly, okay? What can we expect to happen in the next few months 
and do is this something that we can get onto our TDs and MEPs or our European representatives about? What can we do? Mm, I don't think much is going to happen in the next few months. I'd be really surprised if they try and push it um, in the next few months because there's just too much heat on it right now, especially with the fires in Brazil. Um, I think, honestly, I think the most effective thing to do is get involved with a group like Animal Rebellion because it's the whole system like again even if we email our our MEPs and say hey please vote no to this deal and also please stop importing all this stuff without knowing where it comes from it's like good do that and maybe if they get loads of emails it rises up the agenda more effective though would be to set a shopping trolley on fire outside Tesco and say, well, you're burning it anyway. So <laughs> deep. I love it. <laughs> More effective. Do something that, that gets coverage, that actually gets people talking about it. And that gets people to realize that this is in, it's not just in beef, it's in all the meat that you buy. And it's even in eggs, actually, because soy is fed to chickens too. Again, I'd love to know the numbers for Ireland, but Ireland's importing a good amount of soy. Um, and we're not even we could be growing our own grain and we're not so like there's mm-hmm. just so much in Ireland that could be done but I think better done with friends in a group and coming up with actions like that 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 really raises the alarm um, yeah that's because that's what it's about it's like media attention spreads the message to more people yeah and that they that they literally just wouldn't have known like that's what the media is for it's supposed to be for telling the truth and then raising awareness and education and then that's how you in turn get more people caring and more people know about it and fighting for it or fighting against it. and it's like the betrayal of it like in a supermarket it can say irish meat irish chicken whatever but you don't actually know what it's been fed where it's come from so like surely we should just be able to know what we're eating even just that level like there's no transparency i would like to actually get some stickers just stickers of burning forests and run around a supermarket and just stick them on half the half the meat products you know what i mean like there's yeah. so many things that could be done around this because people still really don't know. Yeah, and but and they do care. Like if they didn't, it's that it's that thing of like they do have it in them to care. We've just been conditioned to not think about these things. Like you know the the picture that's on the front of food. I think it's, I don't know if it's all over Europe, but it's definitely in Ireland that says like what percentage of this is sugar, mm. how much of your daily allowance it is, and it like goes from red to to green. Like if we had one of those for the environmental impact yeah. there's people there's a friend of mine actually working on that so she's doing a study on including those labels and whether or not it would impact com- uh, consumer choices but another colleague he's done really good work on just overall assessing the impact of meat on the environment his argument i really like for labeling because when environmental labeling came in for electronics for like dishwashers and stuff all of a sudden the whole system shifted because everybody wanted the best label. Yeah. So nobody wanted the, I think it was like A to E or whatever. And the industry shifted. So if we had that for food, it's possible that it wouldn't really necessarily be consumers. It would just be the industry wanting better labels, wanting to shift up to the greener shade. Um, So labels would be amazing. That's so true. I never actually thought that they're already on dishwashers. And stuff when you're buying a house and all yeah. that yeah yeah we have it for so many different things and we've just overlooked it for food but it would be really useful there's another friend he'd love to develop an app so that you can like scan food in the supermarket and just see the rating 
But again, I think like I think one supermarket bringing out this labeling scheme, being a pioneer in that could really shift the system because I think it needs to be visible. I think we can't depend on the people that would download the app. I think if one whole chain really does it, then that would be really, mm. really interesting. Yeah. And like there's still so there's still so much that can be done. Like the solutions are just mm. so there. We just need to sort of wake up to them. So I do think that like even though it can feel really doom and gloom, we've seen this year how quickly things can change and how quickly everything can change really and so we could we could also have that change in a really positive direction sooner than we think that's my attempt at a hopeful note (laughs) well no it is and (laughs) that's great we'll leave it there we'll leave it there we'll leave in the hopeful (laughs) (laughs) no laura that's no that is really great um we've chatted about so much there and god it sounds like you and your friends it's you've got a little army of people trying to save the world so thank you and thank you to your friends um it's only fab is there any closing notes you'd like to finish off for anyone listening around anything we've chatted about at all. Maybe one really quick thing. So one thing that I'm running this year that I ran last year, it's a, it's Green Santa. Oh, yes. Oh, I forgot to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of tapping into like what we want to see in the world. And um, it's basically anybody can write a letter to Green Santa asking for whatever they want for the planet for Christmas and sharing letters online with a hashtag Green Santa. We ran the grotto last year and kids really loved it and it was actually amazing how much it sort of opened up the conversation with parents like I think parents hadn't realized how much their kids already knew and how much they cared and it was just really amazing to see because it actually brought the message home for parents and allowed the kids to talk about this stuff and then of course ideas could come up around okay well what can we do to help Green Santa to get there kind of thing so I think it's a nice idea and, um, yeah so well, how does it work so kids or adults can write their letters and now I presume this year they're posting them online are yeah they? exactly with the hashtag Green Santa um, and there's an Instagram I think it's dear Green Santa like dear underscore green underscore Santa but I can send you the link to the Instagram yeah I'll link that below as well I'm still working on a decent website and if anyone wants to get involved with that as well they're more than welcome that sounds yeah that's a nice little note coming into the mayhem that will be Christmas now so that's great I'll definitely I'll definitely check that out myself and I'll write a letter to Santa and I will link everything that we chatted about in the show notes Laura just thank you so much thank you thank thank you you. from me and behalf of the planet (laughs) for being another person doing something really good thank you so much and the same to you like your podcast is amazing and everything you're doing with Animal Rebellion I really love it so thank you now didn't I tell you she was some woman for one woman the amount of stuff she's done I hope you guys found some inspiration from this discussion please do get in touch let me know what you think let me know if you have any questions or queries or anything that you want us to clarify or to clarify yourself just get in touch I'm an open book you can email me bookofleespodcast at gmail.com or I'm on Instagram Twitter Facebook and I've linked Green Santa as well so of course we're coming up to Christmas so ask your kids your brothers your sisters your parents do it yourself your partner to write a letter to Green Santa 
and share it online with the hashtag Green Santa to share our hopes for the planet and also get the conversation flowing with friends, relatives and our kids. That is it. I won't keep you guys much longer. Don't forget to support this podcast on Patreon or Book of Leaves if you can. And I'm sending you lots of love wherever you are in the world, whatever's going on in your life. I hope you're okay. And I'll talk to you in two weeks time. Bye.